a bunch of witty bitches. Hey, Papa. Hey, I have a quip. You have a quip. We'll put that for a It's just cadals. Beep beep boop. Beep boop beep boop. Beep 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 beep. Beep 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 boop boop. Boop 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 boop. You're so oh. musical. Well, that was what he did last time too, right? Did we he... did. Ah, yes, it was, but it was always yeah. jazzy. The return of the I jazzy can, beeps. I can never do the just straight beep. I, it sounds too robotic to me. I gotta. I understand. Life. Be an individual. That's how I roll. God forbid robotic beeps. <laughs> yeah, robotic beeps are the worst. Yeah, those are, so la- <laughs> those are so 2016. It's 2017 right now. <laughs> it's Witty Banter episode number 114. My name is Max, and there's a lot of people on this podcast here. We're in three different places. So not only am I looking over to my left at a gorgeous Mr. Hunter Dorset. What's up, Toot? Not only am I looking at my straight-ish to the right on a computer screen, another very gorgeous Chase Williams. Hey. Hey, everybody. But I'm also delighted to tell everybody that we have a special guest on our uh, little podcast here today, Mr. Alex Van Aken. Alex, how are you doing today? Hey, what's up, guys? I'm doing good. Man. If you don't know who Alex is, you're doing yourself a disservice. He is a uh, self-proclaimed sex... God, and also <laughs> Renaissance man. Uh, he was talking all about that before he got on the show. Uh, but he does a few different things. Uh, I want to give you a second here, Alex. Just tell the people a little bit about who you are. Uh, I am Alex Van Aken. I'm the managing editor at OKBeast.com. I co-host the Pixel Pulse radio podcast, which is a podcast kind of similar to this sometimes, minus the beer. We talk about tech, mostly games. Um, but yeah, OKBeast.com is a website based on games and the surrounding culture around it and yeah that's kind of what i do yeah you guys are so official you have a, a title and everything over there at ok beast the production value is something that we yeah we the really look up very to. Nice. we need to start Thank adding titles to dope. our repertoire the, here the next step of smelling your own farts is making business cards which we at witty banter did at one point oh, we made yeah. witty banter business cards and they also just got stolen got stolen yeah. <laughs> right so out somebody of my out there yeah, he's looking through all this stuff, sold it all, and then he was about to sell that to the pawn shop and was like, actually, hold on. He's got one. Oh, my <laughs> oh no, he has. Yes, he's way I'm ahead sorry. of I'm sorry. I stepped my own farts. <laughs> oh, that's a really good business card, too. Shit. It smells good. That's yeah, amazing. You're a good company in the fart sniffing. <laughs> it's a classic. I listen to my own podcast, so, you know, what can I say? Yeah, you, you know, gotta you got to get gotta, better, man. Yeah, you got to check your quality, man. And to love yourself. That. Oh, man. But welcome to the show, Alex. It is, it is a pleasure to have you on yet again, a reoccurring guest now. It's a pleasure to be here. Nice. Yes, I hope you uh, didn't hate yourself too much after the last time, and thank you for taking our bribe to come back again so we can make up for it. We do apologize about that horrible experience. <laughs> if but it wasn't time, for you guys, I would not know the magic that is John Wick 2. So. Hey. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, I owe you God. a life debt. For the double movie review. Man, you're coming back saying. for that. Oh, shit. <laughs> John Wick 2, yeah. That's a movie expert. You know what? You're welcome for that, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't seen John Wick 1. Hey, you know. Yeah, John Wick 2 pretty much summed it up. Uh, So we're pretty much. So if you know the show, um, we do a little thing differently, like you said, on our show. We actually have beers on our show here a little bit. And you probably don't have one, but we also have one today. So before we go into anything else, let's go ahead and just talk about what we're drinking today. Okay, so I'll start us off. I am drinking from an Anchor Steam beer out of, I think it's like the Anchor Steam. Brewery, yeah, oh, Anchor, shit, Anchor Brewing Co. out of San Francisco. 
Uh, like any freaking scrub, they did not have alcohol by volume on their bottle. But I went online, and they are 4.9% alcohol by volume. Interestingly enough, this was first made in 1896. So we got a 19th century beer here. Oh, mm. my God. History. So yeah. I'll give you all my little, my little one-two at half, but kind of looking forward to it. Oh, man. Chase, what are you drinking over there? I am rolling with the San Diego beers still. Uh, this one's a little different because so when I first got to San Diego and I was asking people where I should go, not even for breweries, but just generally on four different weekends, I got four different suggestions from four different people or the same suggestion from four different people to go to this brewery called Mike Hess Brewing. And they have a brewery location um, it's like literally within walking distance. So it's not only like a San Diego beer, it's like a neighborhood beer Shit. and oh, it's an wow. IPA. Uh, it's called the North park, which is the neighborhood that I live next to and that they're in. And, um, it's just a straight San Diego style IPA is how it describes itself. So I'm going to be ripping into this one and giving Dang, it, giving the fucking, it the old college try with the San Diego beers back to back all the time. Alex, I noticed you're drinking something over there. What do you got going on? I am. I am repping the Boulder Beer, which is where I'm from, Boulder, Colorado. Uh-huh. The Boulder Beer Chocolate Porter Shake, Damn. which is a very, a very Fuck standard beer out here. <laughs> it's it's cold outside right now. It's rainy. I wanted something little, little hearty, something that's gonna fill me up, warm me up. Is it's it some cold dark there? chocolate tones. Would, <laughs> it's well, frigid right now. I was gonna frigid. say in like so in in Texas, all the beers are like all five percent or lower, and all just like light beers everywhere. And very rarely made does this of influx of you know like heavier porters and stuff like that come in, and then we all just like relish yeah, for, for three days. Months. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> right, we're like it's cold enough. We can drink these and validate ourselves. <laughs> but is it really like that out there in Colorado? Is it literally just it's more like, par- porters, stouts, and just heavier beers? Uh, yeah, this one's like you can get this all year round. Um, the anything from Boulder Bill really is is available here. Um, but yeah, it's like fifty degrees, fifty five degrees, sixty something like that. It's a little chilly. That sounds with some amazing. rain. So we got some dark chocolate, some coffee vibes going on here. It's uh, in case anybody's curious, five point nine alcohol by volume. So good nice. stuff. I'm not. A, we talked about this last time. I'm not a huge beer connoisseur. I like drinking it. Have one every time, every couple times a week, I guess. But yeah, this one's kind of a go-to, kind of easy to drink, and yeah, cool. Yeah, well, I know you're not a beer connoisseur, so we'll try not to make you look too bad on our show. <laughs> uh, oh, I, as you can see from our craft selections, I am also <laughs> drinking a uh, a craft select shiner to round off my month. You're of shiner. still on the shiners, man. It's a it's a month of shiner. It right? looks like okay. a and diesel gonna, version of shiner, right? And let me tell you, this one's changing up the game a little bit. All right. All my past shiners have pretty much just been a shiner bock with a twist, right? You got the shiner bock with a little bit of cream splashed in there. You had the shiner bock with a little bit of coffee splashed in there. This one is the shiner bock or the shiner golden ale, right? This is completely Ooh, which different. you love. You're a big golden boy. I am a golden man. I got a golden mic. I got golden hair. You do have a golden, golden mic, charm. God damn it! I know. And I now do. you got an arm. I don't. Ugh. <laughs> like golden mic with a regular arm, but someday maybe a golden arm. We'll see. <laughs> But this golden nail from the first couple tries of it is actually pretty nice, pretty crispy, very light, perfect for a 125 degrees that it is, I'm pretty sure, here in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I was melting scale. on my way over here. Seriously, just from like buy, or like taking these from my fridge, putting them straight into my car, air-conditioned car, but just the walk from my car to the apartment, 
they were already like sweating profusely. Yeah. The beers themselves from how fucking hot it poor is. Poor beers. Poor beers. Poor, yeah, they have it really beers. bad. Uh, man, but you know who else has it bad? Our listeners. That's for sure. <laughs> So without further ado, let's go ahead and switch on into some news and topics and other sort of great discussion. This is Witty Banter. Making Hunter work this week. Yeah, Alex just fucked me there. That's really all he tries to do on here. That was like 48 syllables. (laughs) What measure of beats was that? (laughs) Oh, jeez. Man, but we think we got a couple special segments lined up. Uh, Chase, you want to kind of take it away? Yep. So uh, this past weekend, Christopher Nolan's new movie, Dunkirk, released. And I think the three of us, the cast members of this show, are pretty well like established to ourselves that we're done, we're Christopher Nolan fans. We've yep. been watching his movies since uh, Batman in high school and we watched Interstellar in Heights or not Interstellar. We watched Inception in high school and we we're really stoked on Interstellar. Um, so anytime a new Christopher Nolan movie comes out, I think like most people um, who kind of consume popular media, we are pretty stoked. And yep. the movie came out, we all went and saw it and it's time to have a little discussion about it. It's going to be full-on spoilers since we all saw the movie. We're just going to yeah. dig right into it. So if you haven't seen the movie and you don't care about spoilers, great. If you do, uh, come back to this later because um, yeah. we're going to get real deep into it. But I was really excited to have this discussion. And how I wanted to kick it off is not is actually to pose a question about history in general and about war movies and where movies place is when it comes to adding to the historical like knowledge we have about a specific or a particular place like place or time right and where i'm coming at this is i just recently read a book this year a world war one book and what i think books are really good for when it comes to history are you know lists of events getting into the head of the people who were there and making the decisions that they made, understanding what those decisions were in very detailed fashion, getting lists of numbers of things like how many guns there were, artillery, and how many trucks were blown up and men were involved and all these things. You get very detail-oriented accounts. Um, Where I think books struggle is showing a very accurate depiction of the actual human experience of being there. You can have an author who is a good author and at, at maybe explaining a few key moments in, in time. And I think about the world war one book that I read the great war when he describes some of the experiences of men, like going through mud fields and how just horrible it was and so on and so forth. But it's not until you have an author who is based in literature that you can really get that sort of imagery and understand like the feeling of what it was like to be there And I think that's where movies can really come in and help actually further, like, our knowledge about a historical occurrence, right? Like, it's one thing to have entertainment in sort of a historical fiction movie that's there to entertain its audience, but it's another to make a movie sort of like Steven Spielberg did with Saving Private Ryan, where historical... Um, agencies and institutions get like give their blessing and say this is incredibly accurate and we would we would happily point anyone to this movie who wanted to learn about this particular event in time Um, so with that sort of framing I want to just kind of ask you guys what your expectations were going into the film knowing that it's a war movie 
right? Because we have Christopher Nolan who's usually making superhero movies or he's he made Memento, which is like a trippy play on time. And we have Interstellar, which you're going into black holes. You have a lot of out of this world stuff. And for his next subject to be something as grounded as a war movie, I thought was an incredibly interesting choice. Um, and I wanted to kind of get y'all's expectations going in. Yeah, I'll kind of kick it off and I'll keep it kind of short because that's exactly what I thought too as well going into it. I was excited because it's a Christopher Nolan film and I pretty much, I can't tell you if I've ever been let down by one. I don't think that I ever have ever like had expectations that were too high, which is already (laughs) just increasing your expectations going forward. Every movie is going to be higher every time until he's doomed to fail me at least one time, right? Uh, And of course, going into this, it's a war movie and, you know, I've, I've seen a bunch, you know, I've not going to say I'm like, you know, an expert on uh, either of the world wars, but you know, I, I've, I've seen so much of that before that it's going to be hard to shock me or to like really create a unique experience. Uh, that being said, going into the movie and just it setting up exactly how the movie is built, like by kind of playing the three different stories that all took place over uh, certain amounts of time was very Christopher Nolan esque. And that was very like you were saying, momentum and kind of playing with time, playing with like the cinematography of the uh, movie itself and creating a more unique experience. Um, just to kind of play on what you were saying with books compared to movies, you said that in books you hear things that like, you know, they'll, they'll give you a lot of like numbers and specifics and what movies tend to do is bring out more of like the human experience. I think in this movie itself, it definitely focuses more on like what the human experience was compared to anything else. That being said, scale and things like that were not left to be untouched. And while you don't get specific numbers of like how many guns were used, there were plenty of scenes that were shot that showed like, you know, an endless row of guns that were being set up or like laid out while people, you know, disbanded towards ships and they just leave those guns and stuff behind and you catch those kind of in passing to where you don't actually get those statistical uh, numbers but i still think you get that feeling and that weight right but then again it's not like a book it's not as education you can't really as much come away from a movie and like you know spit out these things that you've learned so much like i can't really say that i've learned that (laughs) much about dunkirk other than really what dunkirk really was (laughs) yeah first off it's yeah it's a place uh like in france um but like I I mean, that's all I kind of wanted to say. I want to let you guys kind of like spitball a little bit more on top of that if you want. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, I think it was really interesting to hear that Christopher Nolan was doing something grounded like a war movie, especially considering that I feel like I've seen a shit ton of war movies and it really has to be something special to like stand out. Like there are a lot that kind of do the same thing and are kind of just like big hoorahs or like or even like propaganda you know just like oh yeah. like fucking america's the saviors and these guys suck or whatever oh. um, <laughs> yeah. and yeah <laughs> the lone survivor um and and so like I, I i did think that was really interesting i know that christopher nolan always he's not just gonna tell you know, he's not just going to take a slab of butter and put it across the bread. You know, right. like he's, he's got to make it like he's got to make it like six or seven levels. Yeah, there's that that bread's actually it. fourth dimensional. Yeah, and <laughs> you don't even know if it's bread or not. And yeah, you look down, it's not even baked. You're like, what the? It's <laughs> just so, the wheat. And so, yeah, I mean, like, I knew that he was. I was excited to see going in just like what his take on a war film was going to be, and like how he would portray something of historical significance and use storytelling to tell it in a way that's different from most uh, like directorial sort of visions in telling us like a, you know a, a war 
to story. So yeah. that's kind of what I had. What about yeah, you, I Alex? think uh, when I first of all, when I go into a war movie, um, the two things I want from her are like, like we talked about this, like uh, Max talked about this, like this conveyance of like human emotion or human the human experience. I want that. I also want the like the conveyance of the like, historical accounts. And typically, I do side with like I want I want to know the emotion, the story, rather than like the how many what guns are these, what tanks are these. Um, and I think that that is what I look for that is different than books uh, in a movie. But going into a Christopher Nolan film, I wasn't really sure how he was going to do it. Um, and he kind of makes it pretty apparent early on within the first thirty minutes. There's always like some sort of like break in like the viewer's reality um, in his film. So I was, I wasn't expecting like some sort of supernatural or dream. Like I, I wasn't going to put it past him though. Like I was True. seriously questioning going in. I was like, what if like halfway through this movie, it ends up being like totally nonfiction. You know, I was, yeah. I was ready for that moment, yeah. but yeah. you know, it stayed, it stayed grounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I kind of appreciate that. It did. Uh, I think he put his spin on it in a, tasteful way i mean he's not really i mean i guess he's kind of out there with all of his movies but they do remain tasteful and i don't know i think he did it with this one i want to kind of go back to something you touched on max um when talking about the the depiction of human experience right and and how this is what a movie can do for historical uh place and time and i just want to talk about how um christopher nolan handled his just depiction of war and to put anything in a movie is to glorify it, I think, in a, in a baseline sense, you know, to raise it up. But what I really liked about this movie and why I respect this movie so much is because it didn't really seek to glorify war past the sense that it was showing it to you in a the theater, right? And that's a lot of, like, in some of the war history books, like the, the book I read um, recently this year, it sort of talks about, like, a a constant... Uh, slide into the glorification of war and in every book that you read and just like how these were the greatest men and of our time and blah, blah, Mm. blah. But in this movie, we didn't get a moment like in saving private Ryan, where the dude shot a sniper through his own scope. Right. We never had a moment of like (laughs) insane, insane triumph where it was like, yeah, this guy's so badass. Like that was so awesome. I felt like it depicted death in a very just, um, sober way and it all but it, it didn't glorify death in the sense that even saving private Ryan does where it shows it to you at such under such a microscope where like you watch people bleed out you hear them like cry for their mother and so on and so forth it's really intense and like I think that kind of experience has its place like I think it's totally okay to show people things they've never seen before that they probably don't ever want to see again but they need to know that it happened you know but with the way that uh, Nolan seemed to do it in this film was there were a couple key moments where you knew like really bad shit had just happened to somebody. There was that moment in the boat when they're all hiding and like that uh, soldier gets shot in the mouth and you see, you see blood, you see his hand shaking, but then it cuts away. Uh, there's a moment where that uh, soldier gets smashed between the, the boat mm-hmm. and the, the dock, um, which was really brutal. And you really, you just hear his screams. You don't really see much else. And like, they don't, they don't sit there. There was a lot of scenes where they are in boats and the boats were, were sinking and they didn't, he didn't show you like a super long cut of someone drowning out. Right. Right. Which he could have done. 
Um, and I was just curious if you guys had any feedback on on that sort of approach that he took and how it was it was something where like he paid his respect to the gravity of the death, but he didn't glorify it in one way of like on either side of the spectrum, you know. Yeah, I don't think, and I wanted to bring that up too. That like this movie was one hundred percent lacking gore in any way. There was like mm-hmm. zero gore, uh, pretty much as far it's as really I'm concerned. Like I really can't rare. think of anything. Like <laughs> ser- yeah, which is crazy rare, especially in a war film. And I think that usually when you think that, then you think that they're okay. They're sacrificing gravity of the situation, right? Like they're gonna take away like aspects of fear or urgency or something in a situation. I never felt that in the movie because he, he did it in different ways. Um, I mean, and like you said, in moments he did like let you know when people died in moments, you know, like he definitely showed that at points, but it was never anything that felt like grotesque or cringeworthy as much as it did just help you feel the gravity of the overall situation, the overall, the battle, the war, and like then being able to show the like human side of people around that person and how that affects them or how that doesn't affect them and why that's important and why like so many more important things go into it that way instead of like the shock value. Yeah. Well, it's like, Oh, go ahead. You go ahead. No, you go ahead. You're the guest. All right. Uh, (laughs) Well, yeah, it's kind of the total opposite of the glorification of war. It's the glorification of survivability. And, and even the soldiers themselves are conveying this idea that, I'm a failure. I didn't, I'm, I'm not victorious. I'm a loser. And it's kind of like going in the exact opposite of what we see in a lot of war films. It's just, they made it out. That's okay. Whereas in, you know, saving private Ryan, they, they've accomplished this task. You said taking out the sniper, uh, delivering, you know, this news, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just, yeah, like they survived. Yeah. That's it. I, yeah. And I think like, <clears throat> I was going to say when I, I saw it with Mandy, and one thing that we noted on is how, like, the storytelling and the way that he went about, like, showing the deaths and the gravity of everything, it was really mostly just, like, highlighting that, like, when you're in a war, how you, you lose, like, individuality and identity in a sense. Where it's like, like, all of the British people were, like, you know, 20 to 24-year-old brunette kids that just got thrown in a war, and it wouldn't be, like... You know, in Saving Private Ryan, the guy's, like, guts are falling out, and you're like, oh, no, like, this guy. This guy is going through this horrible thing. It's mm-hmm. like, this thing happens, these people die. This thing mm-hmm. happens, these people die. And it's not, like, it's not to, you know, I guess sacrifice the levity of what happened. It's just, like, the the people who end up being the main characters could have been anyone. You know what I mean? And, like, so the fact that you're, like, oh, like, eventually you 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 realize that yeah these are the main characters these are who I'm rooting for to kind of get through this whole thing like iffy right but but well yeah at the I, same I, time I it's kind of like something really it's like that person could die just as easily as anybody else there which makes you be and one like, of the main character you know, does die you yeah, know? yeah 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 mm-hmm. and and what and i think what you're what you're touching on is something that i um was was noting on as well and that I like I agree with is that it, it really wasn't about like the characters quote unquote of the story like there were a few quote unquote characters and you know you know their names and stuff but it wasn't like a tale of these people and like you didn't learn about who they had back home or what they're like real what they're really like feeling I felt it was more of just the experience of every type of person that was there and I actually think this is another part that um, harkens back to our brief historical conversation we just had where, where you know, what can a movie add or, or what, what, what do you intend to do when you're um, showing something of historical importance? And when I, would, when I was reading that World War I book, it would take you through 
the Navy, the Army, the different types of battalions, the air or the uh, battalions, the different types of air, like the Air Force, and they would and would show you what it was like for all these different um, areas in the war. And I felt like this movie did the exact same thing, right? Like you got to see what it was like on the beach waiting for a boat. You mm-hmm. got to see what it was like on the pier getting bombed. You got to see what it was like being in a in a um, in a destroyer and getting sunk. You got to see what it was like in the air in the Air Force. What it was like as a civilian. What it was like as a soldier who was scuttling from boat to boat, which like that that did happen, right? Yeah. Like there was some some remarkable moments that actually happened um, where these people were like escaping death over and over again. And I, I liked that he took a, an approach where like there was hardly almost any dialogue, especially in the front half. Yep. And it didn't matter because the images told you the story. They told you everything you need to know. Like he leveraged mm-hmm. the <laughs> the fucking form of movie making to tell you what he wanted to tell you. But on top of that, it was like you said, Hunter, it was about the experiences of the soldiers more than it was about like the story of a character, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I just wanted to like touch on that too as well. Um, there was so much like you were you were you start the movie just in the fucking like thick of it, and not just the thick of it as in like this crazy crazy scenario, but just like you're you're almost like midway through the first character that you're interested through. You're like midway through his like process and his journey and what he's doing, and you're sort of left to infer the rest as you go. Like you said, there was very little dialogue, and I always appreciate that in movies mm-hmm. like pretty much 95% of the time mm-hmm. outside of like maybe Tarantino films, you know, or like only movies where I really appreciate like just heavy, heavy dialogue. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in this film, they just do the exact opposite and you're kind of left to like, just infer so much about the situation. And it, you kind of start to realize that you make all of these inferences about characters and stuff that you realize is, are kind of just your own. And it wasn't a point to where, um, they, they called out the the Frenchman who hadn't talked the whole time to where the guy said, no he, yeah, and he was like, he hasn't talked this whole time. And I thought about it, I was like, has he really not talked this whole time? Because it just <laughs> wasn't important to me when I was watching the film. It wasn't important to like hear him talk. It was just, I was still getting like just as much emotion and character and just as much information from him as I was everybody else in the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I really liked so, like how, I guess just as an aside, what I'm starting to like in art or you know whatever art is the things that i sort of take away are like moments like in quotes is just does this thing give me a few moments that i can take away with it and that's I did, aesthetic that's aesthetic experience yeah and yeah i think that's totally the end of art yeah and i and yeah. like while like i wasn't i was i, I felt like i was there and in, in most of the movie but mm-hmm. In the parts that I wasn't, I was still strung along by like, even though I didn't know really anything, like you said, like I don't know anything about the characters or their backgrounds or anything, they still were able to like have me invested enough to have like moments where I was like, that was fucking good, you know? Like for instance, as a spoiler again, like when the guy was like asked again if the, if the, the boy or whatever that dropped down onto the deck and like hit his head yes. or whatever, if he asked again, he's like, is he going to be okay? And this was after his dad was like, he's probably never going to be the same ever. Well, again. he had. D- he, and, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and the guy, and you can just, you can just see the kid and he's like, he wants to say, no, you fucking killed him. Yeah. But he just like takes, a, he swallows it a little bit and he's just like, yeah, it's cool. Cause it's better to be calm 
And that pro- guy probably just does not need to have that weighing on his conscience for the rest of his fucking life, you know? I thought yeah. that was a very powerful scene. Yeah. yeah. And there I, was like I two or three that. of those where I was just like, yeah. <laughs> it got, yeah. It took, a, took home some moments. Yeah. Um, we briefly mentioned this, but this is what I want to get into now. Let's talk about the Christopher Nolan side of this movie, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And I didn't know what to expect going in and watching him still play with things like time and still play with filmmaking in that way in this movie I felt was fucking awesome. I wanted to hear what you guys, uh, how, how, how did you digest the three different timelines that were happening in this movie? Because when you, when the movie starts, it gives you, um, what's going on over there, huh? He was like about to make uh, a point. No, I'm like, no, I'm ready. Fist. No, I'm and then going. He, oh yeah, you're getting pumped. <laughs> so, um, in the, in the beginning of the movie, you get text, right? The mole, one week. Um, the sea, one day. The air, one hour. And I read that, I'm like, in the first time I saw it, I was like, I have no clue what that means, but yeah. I'm going to try to remember it because it's going to be important. Yeah, right? I didn't either, yeah. And the entire time the movie's going on, for like the front half, half of your characters are going through multiple day-night cycles. Another group of characters is like, you can kind of tell the sun is changing and then the other group of characters have just been in broad daylight yeah. and it left me in this really weird just I couldn't like I couldn't center myself in the movie I couldn't grab any sort of um, like overarching perspective and I felt very disoriented yep and it's one thing to just be able to create that experience and have it kind of be thrilling but I think what kind of elevates it to an even more masterful um, stroke is the sense that I think that's the way that those soldiers felt those soldiers felt suspended in limbo. They felt like they were in a time, a place, you know, in between time. And I felt like that is the exact feeling he made me feel in the audience and having that connection that was made through just showing me different timelines without actually explaining it. I thought was incredible. Probably my favorite part of the movie, um, as a whole. Yeah, like, I mean, you, you pretty much said everything that I was going to say, too. I mean, there's such a disorientation that got me at the beginning of the film with that. Because, like you said, I, I read those three things, too, and I didn't know what they meant. And I kind of, like, assumed that it meant, like, like how long ago or, like, something like that. And then But then when it kind of went to all three, it was like, that wouldn't make sense. Why would they show, like, one split second of this and then say, like an hour ago is this, you know, and I I got kind of confused and it wasn't until like midway that I started kind of putting everything together. Uh, mostly like when um, the pilot sees like the boat that we know coming up to the other ship, but Mm -hmm. then they're not happening on the ship yet. And that's when I was kind of like, Oh, that's what it was for. And at first I thought to myself like, ah, like I wish I had known that so I could better appreciate parts of this film. But as I got towards the end, like you're totally right. That was such a unique experience for me to not understand that and have that disorientation and stuff add to the film in such a way that I won't ever get again. And I want to see the movie again, but it's not going to be the same because of that. And there's going to be things that I'm going to look out for now that I know, but I'm never going to get that first experience of like not understanding, which is probably the ultimate spoiler. I feel like right now. (laughs) So I'm super sorry if we like broke that for you, (laughs) if you haven't seen the film yet, but (laughs) like, yeah, I think that really is the only spoiler, but even just even to briefly touch on uh, the small bit of art we've talked about, like, to me, that is the discovery side of art. Like you can only discover art once, mm-hmm. you know, and this was a film I think that really uh, portrays that in particular, you know, Yeah. because I, I saw the movie twice and I got to be honest, like the first time viewing it was better. 
because yeah. of, of having not seen it. I would imagine, yeah. I could see that. I also, it's, it's also cool, you know, when you do the time. I, I was also in the same way where, like, I was more confused than I was, like, oh, like, what's this? What's that? Like, trying to piece it together. It was more just like, right. I'm trying to figure out what's going on while the next thing's happening, which was, yeah, it was a little disorienting in, like, good and bad ways, I guess. Um, but I also liked how you see, you see like the same scene a lot of the times from like two or three different perspectives. Uh, like, like when you see the boat full of the guys and you know, like they had been, sh- it, had, it was basically sinking cause they had put all the holes in it or whatever. And so like, they're like swimming toward one of the, the warships or like the destroyers. And you see that like. First, I think from the airplane's point of view, and you don't really oh, know who those people are. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, okay. Well, then I'm going to see it from their point of view, and then you see it from like the civilian boat's point of view, and like how they come up on that. Um, so it's it's kind of cool that you you get to see like you'll see something happen, and then sometimes you will, and sometimes you won't see it from other people's perspectives, and then it just like pieces together. So I I. I, I I thought that was really cool too. I, I but I do admit that like I was kind of like <laughs> scratching my head in a lot of parts in the movie, just trying to figure well, out where we that, were. That scene in particular, like that was they were so spaced out from each other that like that also even took me like an after the fact of kind of putting together the fact that like that was that scene, like because yeah. you see it from the soldiers in the boat's perspective last. Mm-hmm. So it kind of took me a second to even realize that like oh that's when that happened that was something specific that wasn't just like an overall shot of the battle. Or even when, like, the first pilot, or I guess he's the second pilot, but the guy, like, lands in the water. Oh, yeah. you see it from, like, Tom Hardy's point of view. You see it from his point of view. You see it from the boater's point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. It's It's just cool that they can kind of, they can show you so much perspective of something that, like, may or may not have even happened, but it's still, like, kind of riveting yeah. and, and makes you feel like you're a part of the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and even in the same way that like Inception played with these three layers of time, mm-hmm. this was kind of happening in the same uh, capacity in this movie. What I loved is how in the in the timeline that was only an hour, that's where you got the most references about time because he introduced mm-hmm. that whole uh, tension with his fuel gauge where he's constantly checking his watch, writing the time down, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, over and over again. And it's just like a constant reference in your head so that like you're seeing this and you're like, wait, like what, like where the fuck, am, like what is going on? You know, <laughs> and I just, I loved it. And, and I, I kind of want to transition that into now we can just sort of talk about this, a few more general things that we liked and disliked about the Dude. movie. Um, the musical score I felt was oh, fucking phenomenal. Awesome. <laughs> Dude. Fantastic. Like just a constant, a constant, just staccato on a violin in the background and not even like in a, in like a perpetual rhythm. Like sometimes that rhythm would change in a way that like wasn't really musical as much as it was noise before it would start to build into music again. And there, and it was a sense of like a constant ticking, like a clock. Right. Mm -hmm. And it it actually towards the end of the movie, this, the score was much more leaning into like the sound of a tick, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to hear you guys hear what you, you guys thought about the score because like the sense of dread that that score put me in sometimes was immense, dude. Yeah. So Hans Zimmer does this thing, which is kind of, it's, he's done it in several movies, but, and I think, and I'm not the one who came up with this idea. I've watched a couple of videos on it, but he does something what's called a shepherd note. And what that is essentially, he's maintaining two notes at the same time in a set of three. So 
His high note is it starts strong and slowly fades. The middle note stays constant, the mid like the midtone. Mm-hmm. And then the, the low note, as the as the high note is dying off, the low note is building. And they're constantly shifting between the two. So you just have like almost this loop of like almost like anticipation. That's like what one of the reasons like it causes so much like dread uh to the listener. I thought it was like pretty fascinating. Um and yeah, I, I think Hans Zimmer did like an incredible job. Um i from the very first like like once the main one of the main characters gets on the beach for the first time, that violin Dude. starts. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh man. And it almost uh, never stops. Yep, yeah. Until in fact the silence. And in fact Exactly. And so that it punctuates those moments of silence to such a de- like to the nth degree. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like I, th- I think the, the like moments four or five parts where that happens. So. Exactly. You know, and like mm-hmm. they those parts hit so much harder because he laid the groundwork for all of that. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it was fantastic. Um, so another decision that uh, that um, Christopher Nolan made that I thought was inc- pretty uh, radical for a World World War Two movie is he didn't show a single Face. German soldier until the very end for like um and, and and just because like they're ambiguously uh, German too yeah what do you it's just I want to hear y'all guys thoughts on, on on that decision he didn't show a single ger- I a thought German that was soldier. masterful I thought it was masterful to yeah. have true truly bad things happening like there's clearly a negative force that is impacting all of this but you have no references to who it is. Or, mm-hmm. or, or, or anything like, yeah, you know, like I was saying before. There's no propaganda. There's no, there's no need to tell all of the, you know, environmental things that happened before, things they're anticipating. It's just like this is the shit that's happening to us right now. We got to react. Um, and yeah. I think that that's great. I mean, I think that that's maybe the only war war movie I've ever watched that doesn't have like these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. It's really just yeah. like these are the people we're following as this shit's happening. Kind it of. creates so right. much more of a larger sense of anxiety and dread because without putting these like faces to human body or human form, it essentially just feels like the atmosphere or the environment, which was Dunkirk at the time. That was the idea, was that they were like yeah. literally surrounded mm-hmm. in an embodiment of, from their point of view, like evil and things that wanted to kill them. Yeah, or your like, imagination. And not even that, not even like things that wanted to, just like doom. Like, and it made it so much more ambiguous and looming in that sense. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and like... I just I just felt like he was playing with viewer expectations the entire movie. Like he starts right out of the gate with it, right? Like when the um, two soldiers are running to that ship with the stretcher, mm-hmm. and it appears like they've they're too late. Like the viewer already knows that they're too late. They've missed the boat. The the, the uh, plank to get on is has been lifted, but they walk right up. They walk right past that plank and go on to the next one, right? And you're yeah. like, oh well. And then they fuck, get on the boat. Me, and you're right? like, oh okay, cool. They're gonna get off, and then they don't get on the boat. <laughs> like fuck yeah. It, it, Exactly. And like even with um, and, and this will be a good transition, probably into sort of the last point of discussion that we'll talk about. And they, they do that. He does that, I think, most heavily um, on the boat on the Moonstone following the, uh, the civilians mm-hmm. with George. And, and George is like, you know, we're going to war. And he's like, I'll be useful. And you're kind of thinking and this kind of even harkens back to play like not not giving in to glorifying these people. When, when you hear from George, I'll be useful. You're like, all right, cool. Like this kid's going to probably do some heroic cool shit. shit yeah nope, nope. he, yeah. he no, dies no. in the most plain needless way you could possibly imagine so horrifyingly um, arbitrary <laughs> yeah yeah and so 
I think the last bit of, of discussion that I want to talk to you guys is, is talking about the storyline on the Moonstone because I think the themes that Christopher Nolan was exploring with those characters in particular were the more universal themes of the human experience. And I say that because you have moments, you only have a couple characters and you have very pivotal uh, moments between them all, right? And I, I think it really starts when they get the um, they get the man on who's shell, shell, uh, shell oh my God, shell shocked. Yeah. And the boy uh, is like afraid of him and he like locks him in that closet for really no reason. And his dad's like, yo, like what the fuck did you do that? And it was because he was afraid of him. He didn't understand like what was happening and that caused that man to be riled up. It caused needless violence to happen and which caused the most innocent life to be taken. And then like you said, Hunter, at the start of the discussion, I thought the most, um, one of the strongest scenes in the entire movie was when he lied to that soldier and told him that he was fine. And that was the moment of forgiveness. Like that was kind of this full circle of conflict. It was like a micro, uh, example of the greater conflict that was happening, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, like, I, I thought that was, like, I think I, I enjoyed, like, I was riveted most by, uh, like, like the flying, which, of course, it's, like, the hour long, and, you know, aviation is yeah. just cool, right? Um, but, but yeah, I, I, as far as, like, the story goes, I, I think that that, that little um, section of the movie was, like, my favorite part. Um, mm -hmm. And, and it, it, you know, it's cool, like, you know, you, you find out about people where you're, like, oh, like, you know... The, the, the guy is just trying to he just seems like a good guy because he's going after the pilot that landed but then you learn later that like he had a son who is a fighter who also was lost in the war and so you're like oh okay so like he's he's like thinking like any chance that he gets to save anybody is like that's worth it he's thinking about it like that's his son kind of that's another person's son or something yeah like right that, yeah. yeah and so like and I even I even loved that moment when he was like going over to that boat and, the, and his son's like there, what are you doing like there's no parachute and like there's even a point in time where the the captain kind of snaps he's like what the fuck do you want me to do like maybe we can help him you know fuck like yeah. we're out here you yeah. know like what do you expect like yeah. there's yeah. no right answer here yeah i thought that they had the most like like as far as just like actor like acting goes i felt like their facial expressions and the way that they were going about like telling what they were doing uh was the most like had me the most intrigued i liked that storyline i guess the most so so that was yeah yeah, it's like because essentially the three stories were broken down into like the biggest one being the more like the more main focus of the man on the beach and jumping boat to boat. Mm -hmm. And then there was like the most personal as you can be was essentially like for the most part that pilot felt like alone more than anybody else did really for a very long time. Yeah. Like, literally being and all of his emotes came through like his eyes dude like dude, i thought yeah man. i thought he did an amazing like it, it's pretty incredible that you can you can say that guy did an amazing performance when literally all He's you saw right was here. his eyes yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. and with such min like literally minimal dialogue he talked the least and i remember thinking that in the movie like or uh thinking that in the movie like how much inference i was making like because i was just reading from his facial expressions what he was thinking and what he was saying and I remember thinking, yeah. like, he's looking back at that plane, he's thinking this, he's, like, checking his fuel gauge, he's doing all this stuff, and he's going through all these different things in his head, and he doesn't have to say anything about it, <laughs> right. which is cool. And even, like, when he did talk, and this is a quick little aside on style, I loved the vocal effects they put on him and, like, the way that they had this, like, mechanical chirp back and forth and just, like, the sort of, like, metallic, steely feeling that put in you that kind of, like... The they were almost an extension of the planes or vice versa, you know. I don't know. I, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, or at least that they're mm -hmm. like the human interaction was being filtered 
by as much as possible. Like the human interaction from plane to plane at that point. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, terrible. Movie. I feel like Don't I could go see it. Yeah. <laughs> it fucking movie sucks. fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, shout out to whoever a, colored the movie. It oh, was yeah. gorgeous. Like yeah. through and through. I, yeah, I mean, to, if, to briefly touch on the cinematography, like I felt like the the depth of field, like the lenses that they were using, it would it would be like if, if someone was in like a three fourths view, it was like their left cheek and their left eye would be in focus, and everything else was blurry. And like, I honestly think that reinforces the theme of being sucked in limbo because it looked it, to me, it looked like the subjects of every shot were almost like suspended in the shot itself and like Mm -hmm. the blurriness of all of the colors in the background added to this sort of like bleary notion but it also created a very like expressionist uh type of palette where it was more about just giving you the feeling of the moment and the feeling of the scene rather than like a very hyper realistic depiction of it you know Mm -hmm. yeah um so yeah that was dunkirk uh you guys if you didn't see it and you listen to this go see it and if you did see it hopefully um you agreed or disagree with us, let us know. Send us an email to go to wittybantershow.com. But if anyone has any closing remarks, I'm, I'm all out. Uh, yeah, like you said, really, it's a, it's a quality film. Um, please go see it if you haven't. It's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, good moments, man. I have like four or five just really good moments. And I pro- it probably won't be one that I'm like rearing to watch again right away um, because it was sort of like, like it was an experience the first time through and like that was kind of that was kind of like what it was it was good it was good yeah. just in that first time yeah yeah i don't think i can say it any better go see it right on all right good Max, war I'll, movie I'll give, it back, I'll give it back to you all right cool well thank you guys so much for uh visiting into this dunkirk review section uh anything else we wanted to do before we switched on over into the uh halftime uh, yeah, we have a question from Twitter. I believe it's a follow from Alex Van Aken. It's mm. at Noah Friskop who asks, "Why is Tom Hardy so good?" Alex? He's good at everything he does. Like <laughs> that's it. Like, have you seen him in Revenant? Have you seen him in now Dunkirk? Have you the seen him in just... Star Trek? <laughs> yeah, he was in He's Star just... Trek a while back. Go look it up. He's bald. He's really young and really skinny. It's really funny. <laughs> But and anyway, was, <laughs> I, I read a lot of stuff on uh, Reddit about how um, Christopher Nolan was like giving him like a, a Bane nod with like him being in the mask the whole time. Yeah. Or a Mad Max yeah. nod when he just right? like yeah. gave a wave back really like nonchalantly. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. He's a master at like the micro expression. Uh, I think that's like what we were talking about. Like he everything he was thinking we saw in the movie and he does that with a lot eyes. of his roles. Yeah. 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 All right. Halftime. Let's do it. All right, guys. Let's go ahead and think about Tom Hardy a little bit more and mm-hmm. come on back with uh, some more thoughts on Tom Hardy. A beat up beep boop. <laughs> beat the beep. Beep, beep, beep. Beep. If you want to keep up with the show after the microphones have turned off, be sure to follow us on social media by searching Witty Banter Show on Twitter and Instagram and liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Witty Banter Podcast. Want to steer the conversation or be a part of the show? Just go on down to wittybantershow.com and leave us a suggestion for a beer or a question for us to answer on the show. And if you like what we're doing and you want to support the cause, head on over to iTunes and leave a review and feel free to share it with your friends. Let's get back to it. Beep-doop-beep-boop. beep boop beep boop beep boop beep 
We're back from halftime after a riveting discussion on both an amazing feat of cinematography and also an amazing feat of male glory. That is Tom Hardy. <laughs> Uh, but you know, for now, let's go ahead and bring it on back to what we know and love, and that's a little bit of beer. What are you guys feeling on your beer so far? You know, I I actually really like mine. It's just um, it's like simple. You know, you should just like make that like the tagline for it. Like, you know what? I actually really like this. <laughs> it's it's it, it, literally all it says on the the can is just that it's a beer. Like it doesn't say like it has all, this, all it says is just beer. it has all this like background information about like the brewing methods and stuff. But like what kind of beer is it? It just says Anchor Steam Beer. Um, mm. And it's really simple. It's kind of it kind of reminds me of like the copper, the 1836 copper ale that we had. Uh, it's just like a solid. It's just a solid beer with a little bit of spicy and maltiness and like not too complex, but not like not, you know, just shitty. So it, I'm, I'm digging it. It's not shitty. You heard it yeah, here. Yeah, not shitty. Perf- certified not shitty from Hunter. Uh, yeah, my beer is actually shaping up pretty pretty well. Not that it really had that much competition prior to it, but uh, the Shiner Golden Ale is actually pretty delicious. Did it outdo so the cream ale in its? It did, in its, in its mediocrity, which is <laughs> what it really was, just that mediocrity that shined like glory next to its uh, predecessors. But this Golden Ale is actually uh, pretty tasty. It's nice and light. It's got a nice crisp feel to it, a good little body to it, also some spicy <laughs> characteristics nice to it. Little body nice little too. tight body on it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, would drink again. What are you guys thinking? Yeah, the, the IPA that I have is sort of falling in line with how that one Stone Ripper IPA that I drank, or that ale, and that it's, I want to describe it as juicy again. What's with like, all these juicy beers, San Diego? <laughs> There's something, something about in the like the air and the water and for real, man. Like it's just it's got a lot of flavor that's like very bright, uh, like a lot of fruit flavors and like maybe mandarin or something. And they just like hit you, they hit you hard and hit you quick. And then it's pretty damn bitter uh, towards the end. You know, it's an IPA. It's, it's extremely well balanced. Um, I'm I'm digging it. This and this is the the Mike Hess India Pale Ale. Cool, awesome. The uh... Boulder beer chocolate shake is uh, kind of like a standard around here. So it's, I mean, I've had it plenty of times. It's kind of like a typical porter, you know, like dark chocolate, coffee, a little bit of vanilla tones. Uh, and I know they, they just kind of do it good, do it right. Um, like I said, I'm not a beer guy, but um, easy to drink. It's not, it, there's a little bit of sweetness to it, but it's not like, there's no like weird aftertaste that sometimes I get. Um, and it's, pretty easy to drink so sounds like we got a bunch of bro beers where it's just like whatever yeah chill yeah chill ass beers man this is a chill ass soda juicy beer bro (laughs) (laughs) this one's a little more crispy beer bro we got a beer with a body over here we got a fucking tight body beer (laughs) 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 and then we just got a beer (laughs) it's It's nothing else simple (laughs) oh man not shitty (laughs) <laughs> well, Alex, last time you were on the show, uh, you talked a little bit about the Marvel movies that were kind of <laughs> coming out. So it's kind of safe to say, is it a safe assumption to say you are a fan of superheroes? I am a fan of superheroes. You do like superheroes and people with superpowers. We're quoting you right now. Mostly, I like people <laughs> with superheroes you, and you, superpowers. You would say that you probably know all the superheroes 
and their superpowers for the most part. I, I would not say that. You wouldn't say that? Well, <laughs> well shucks. That's a good there thing. are a that's lot of good. heroes. That's yes. good for us. Well, that's good because I want to invite you to take part in a witty banter classic. Uh, a little game here that I like to call Heroes or Zeros. Throw down your sword and bend the knee. <laughs> Wait till you see my full power. Prepare yourself for a thousand fists. If no one else will do this, I will. All right. Mm. This fucking game. So man. this game last time was a major hit. It's also called Chase Blood Level Rising. Yeah. 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 How many blood vessels can you burst in Chase's eye? Um, But we're going to kind of change things up on here a little bit. Uh, We're going to have three contestants here, and I'm looking at all three of them right now, which means we kind of have to bend the rules just a little bit. All right. Now, to save time, I made nine or just found (laughs) characters. Uh, I have a list of nine superheroes here. Okay. Okay. Uh, So they're either going to be real superheroes or supervillains from the long lineage of comic books and history, or they're going to be one that I made up and they're really wacky and silly. All right. But who won last time? Was it you took it, right, Hunter? Uh, I think I won the most recent Hero Zero. Hero Zero. Because it took a long time. Okay. Yeah, it went down to the brutal, bloody end. All right. (laughs) So the way we're going to do this, uh, in order to, you know, erase any sort of meta that Max might bring to the table, I have a list here, one through nine. I double-checked it. There's definitely nine on here. (laughs) You think? Because I know that's a problem that I've had before. And uh, (laughs) you're going to start us off, Hunter. You're going to select a number one through nine. I'm going to give you this Hero or Zero. Okay, and just to map out everything else, uh, once you, you're able to steal another point from another ca- or another player if you disagree with them, okay? And that's how you get a point too as well. Does that make sense to everybody? So you have to disagree mm-hmm. with them before the, uh, like before you say they're right or wrong? Yeah, I mean, definitely before they know the answer. That yeah, would before totally the be answer crucial. is out yeah. there for well, sure. Well, I mean, like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, all right, now here's the thing, though, okay? If you steal a point, you have to sacrifice one of your own points. That way we can't go stealing willy-nilly here. Yeah. Because mm. otherwise you would just steal every fucking time. Yeah. You have your dick out on the table, steal it, steal it, steal it. We're not having that here. Not on my fucking podcast, <laughs> no not on my fucking show. No dicks on the table. <laughs> not on this table. Here. Yeah, dude, fuck that. Which means that you can't steal anything if you don't have any points yet. It's pretty much the prime predecessor here, okay? Cool, but we're going to start off with you, Hunter. Give me a number one through nine. I say we continue in the uh, the good faith tradition of making it as difficult for Max to track as possible. <laughs> Perfect. So I'm going to go with seven. <laughs> you fucking asshole. <laughs> All right, I can get I down with that. I hope it's a hard I'll one help you out with that. All right, Hunter. This one is The Weeper. The Weeper. The Weeper. With a W. <laughs> Thanks. Real name, Mortimer <laughs> Gloom. Mortimer. First appearance, <laughs> Master Comics number 23. Power, later bought by DC, this Fawcett Comics supervillain was the arch foe of Bullet Man and Bullet Girl and donned a blue opera cape and top hat carrying a walking stick and armed with tear gas. The ex-clown turned to a life of crime after being fired from his circus and now travels the streets in a hearse accompanied by his henchmen called the Bitter Men. Gloom's specialty. The Weeper and the Bitter Men. The Gloom, <laughs> Gloom's specialty is going from door to door, creating a phony alibi and delivering false bad news to the inhabitants of the home about loved ones dying, their businesses burning down, or other equally devastating news. Whilst the residents are weeping or distraught and preoccupied, the Bitter Men rob the house. So he's definitely not a hero. Death. 
They got pretty in depth. He's this like time a, he'd either be a hero or a villain, right? So this, uh, I think in this case, he'd be a villain. Yeah, he's a yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Villains or nillins. <laughs> um, his name is the Weeper, and his name is Mortimer Gloom. I thought that you were like really. I'm. I'm still kind of convinced that you're like pulling from the Pierre, like Aulo Pierre episode from Cowboy Bebop, like that bad guy. Because it sounded like you were basically describing that dude. Mm. Um, Could you have found a, a secret influence that I may have been putting in there? I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say this is zero. Just out of curiosity, I'm gonna say he's a hero. You need a point in order to be a hero. Okay, I can't go into the negative. Steal, yeah, you can't go into the negatives (laughs) because I like that. You can't steal until you got some. Yeah, you can't steal until you get points. Yeah, but Mortimer Gloom, the Weeper, the Bitter Man—it was all lining up real nicely, right? And it seemed like there was a theme that Max, if he was creating it. Because it, that's, Matt, that's his well, specialty. Yeah. Well, let him let him figure. Let, let's let Chase say what he's gonna go say. On. Chase, go on. It seemed yeah, and it seemed it was all like running towards the same thing. But then like the second description you gave just was kind of like out of nowhere, and I was like, okay, well now it sounds more pedestrian and weird, which makes it a, a hero for sure. Yeah, I think it's real because yeah. we're on cool the meta game that if it sounds good, it's probably, <laughs> it's probably not, not real, good. and if it sounds <laughs> not good, then it's probably real. Yeah, Max, once you've ranked up as many times as Hunter and yeah. I have in these games, you're looking at the playing field much differently. Yes, of course. Uh, just out of curiosity, Alex, what would you have said? Hero. You would have said hero? So you both would have said hero. If you had points, you would have stolen for heroes, right? Yeah. Maybe. Well, if you had points, you would have been up one because this is Damn. a real hero. I, I was willing to take that bet. That's all right. <laughs> we'll go on over to you, Alex. Here, the score is all tied up at zero. So mm, give me okay. a uh, give me one through six or eight through nine. Four. Fuck both of you. <laughs> yes. All right, cool. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> all right, we got number four here, Alex. This is Flamingo. Real name: Eduardo Flamingo. First appearance. <laughs> DC's Batman number 666 in July oh, right. of 2007. First appearance was in DC. Or sorry, sorry. Well, I just said that. Power, a master assassin and expert of multiple firearms. The Flamingo is a deranged villain with a flamboyantly bipolar attitude that was caused by a botched lobotomy. He wears a pink coat and drives a pink motorcycle with his weapon of choice being a whip. He was also noted to bite off and possibly eat the faces of his victims. <laughs> possibly what? eat? This is the most ridiculous, like, that's a zero. grab bag. You're going to say that's a zero? Just that's out a of zero. curiosity, guys. <laughs> what would you I don't guys know. He sounded kind of cool to me. I'd say he's a hero. You want, so you, just, you think you he want him to like be real? He sounds like he's too committed to the to pink real. aesthetic. I understand that. He's a fucking flamingo. He's a flamingo, dude. He's <laughs> Eduardo Flamingo. I don't know about the eating of faces, though. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if I'm down with that. I don't know got, if I support that it, necessarily. It got increasingly random as time went on. I would have said zero, too. You would have said zero? Well, that's a hero, my friends. What? Not necessarily a hero. He's definitely a villain. But he definitely exists, too, as Man. well. We need Christopher Nolan to bring a story where the hero is the one eating off people's faces. Yeah, really throw a wrench in the game. You know? I want to start word. rooting for the face eater for once, you know? 
Yeah, for once. I'm tired of the face eater getting the bad rap. <laughs> bath salts are not that bad. Man. <laughs> I just want to say the pink aesthetic, it just seems too on the nose. I don't yeah. know, for DC. Uh, oh, well. Maybe that was what they were thinking on issue number 666, <laughs> and they thought, let's fuck it, let's just fucking do something. Maybe, let's yeah. Fuck it, dude. All right, Chase, go ahead and give me a number one through three or five through six or eight through nine. Two. Okay. <laughs> All righty here. I've got Neon the Unknown. Real name, Thomas Tom Corbett. First, ex first, uh, first appearance, quality comics, hit comics number one in July of 1940. Power. After drinking from, drinking from a magical glowing oasis while dying of dehydration in the desert during World War II, Corbett found himself with a superhuman ability to both fly on a spiral of light as well as fire neonic blasts from his hands. That, what year was this made? 1940. Man. Because there's a part of me that's like, this is... This seems normal enough. I mean, not normal in the sense that all of these are fucking outrageous, but not not so out there that it could be fake. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, what are who's obsessed with neon in 1940s? That's like that's very 80s. It's very unknown, right? isn't it? And that's the other thing is the title. It's the first time if this was a zero that you actually got really clever and creative with these titles <laughs> <laughs> and had put a little neon the unknown in there. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say zero. Neon the unknown, while not being very known, is very real. God, damn. <laughs> I was with you, man. I thought it was fake. God, I'm on a different man. wavelength than both y'all. Neon in the forties. <laughs> I would have oh, said, man. yeah. All right, since we've all gone once, I'm gonna go ahead. And open up the opportunity to steal because I thought you'd have more points by now. You can put your dicks on the table now. <laughs> put, your <dicks. laughs> yeah. put your dicks out, lay them out. It's time to steal, okay? okay? All right, we're going back over to you, Hunter. Give me a number one or three or five through six or eight or nine. Six. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, Hunter. Kite Man. Oh, come the fuck on. <laughs> Uh, Charles Chuck Brown. <laughs> Chuck the Kite Man. <laughs> First appearance, Batman, Volume 1, number 133, August 1960. Well, you say Batman, Volume 1? Yeah. It's like the first... So the very first Batman comic. Uh, numbers one, number 133 of Volume 1, of the first iteration oh, of the series. Okay. Yeah, comics get real fucking confusing. Let's keep in mind his name is Charlie Brown, okay? <laughs> Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well, he goes by Chuck. <laughs> so does Charlie Brown. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, power here. Brown got his start in organized crime by first helping Arkham Asylum residents escape via his amazing ability to fly a variety of gimmicked kites. Not much was known about the origin of this character until DC Rebirth wrote him with his new, now darker background. In this iteration, Kite Man is an alcoholic who holds on to the memory of flying a kite for, his fir for the first time with his son. His son, Charles Brown Jr., however, was poisoned by the Riddler. 
Charles uh, Brown Jr. Who then dies, and then his son <laughs> dies, during the war of jokes and riddles. After this, Kite Man vowed revenge on the Riddler and joined the Joker's side. This is truly ridiculous. Is it? Yes. Or is it truly heroic? I, like, and I, this is... This is the Thin's knife edge we dance on, man. <laughs> it's just like so unreliable that you have to rely on the wind for transportation. <laughs> like, I hope I the hope fucking kite works. He's an expert kiteman. He can probably fly in anyway. Batman, help and me it's, out. And, <laughs> and the wind, yeah, the wind's gonna be strong enough that multiple people can can be shepherded by these kites. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna say zero. Like, like it, it just. It's gonna break my heart if it's true. Anybody willing to dip into the negatives to challenge this man? <laughs> That's I so feel fake. like I'm gonna be an ass no matter what I answer because this is just. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And what did you say again? I said this is zero. Kite man is very real. God. What? <laughs> kite man is. Oh man, you guys Charlie are picking very. Brown, yeah. The kite man. Charlie Brown, the kite man. That is fucking <laughs> Right, Alex. <laughs> We're on over to you, all right? All right. You want to do number I'm one? So sorry, Hunter. That's, <laughs> you that, wanna there's do, no coming back, man. You want to do that no, kind of shit's ridiculous. number one, number three, number five, number eight, or number nine? Number eight. The Surgeon. Hmm. Real name, Garrison Carver. Carver. First appearance... The question, cool. number four, June of 1967. Once a successful and rich sur surgeon, Carver's life was turned upside down when mob boss Edmund Kingsnake Dorrance came to his house during a lavish party to ask for the protection money that Carver refused to pay. Trying to act tough in front of his peers, Carver stood up to Edmund, remarking about his grotesque facial structure. As a result, Carver was beaten to a point of unrecognizability, horrifyingly distorting his face from his once notably handsome physique. Disgraced by his appearance and outcast from the social circle, Carver became insane and began a series of assaults, murders, and kidnapping of victims while practicing unorthodox facial reconstructive surgeries on them. That's a zero. Everybody else agree? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta dip into the negatives if if it needs to happen. But I gotta say, hero, because I think there's too many freaking details in that description. There's too many names of other people Wait, in there. Which comic did you say it was from? Uh, question number four. Question what? is, yeah. he's a detective. Okay. He has no face. If you've seen like the Justice League comics, he's in there. He's like a noir comic. It's a zero. It sounds too much like uh, that pig guy. Which big guy? The doll maker? Yeah, from Batman. I also agree that it's a zero. So I can't I, yeah. disagree. You can't disagree. I think I think you wanted to make a cool sounding villain. <laughs> and congrats, you did. I mean, Carver? No, yeah. thank you. Or maybe well, not. Well, hold on. Wait, so you guys all say zero? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to go with hero. I still think there's too many details. Dick on the table, Chase. <laughs> did, did, uh, it's Chase. Out. Whip it oh. out. Put it on there. <laughs> Salami yeah. Chase. How cold is that countertop? <laughs> because, unfortunately, me, because unfortunately, I did make this cool-ass guy up. He is a zero, <laughs> which means what not up? only is Alex in first place, but Chase is also in last place with yeah. negative one. Don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm, a, Chase. I'm sitting at a smooth zero. <laughs> <laughs> All 
I know. I gotta. I gotta tie you now. I got work to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right, Chase. It's up to you now. You want to do number one? Number one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chase. Number one. Kid Eternity. Real name: Christopher Kit Freeman. First appearance: Quality Comics. Hit Comics. December 1942. Power. Kid was brought back to life after a mix-up happened that resulted in his untimely death as a child. He was granted 75 more years of life and, as a reparation, was granted the power to summon any good historical or mythological figure or animal as long as it was in order to uphold good in the world. Well. I'm going to say zero. I don't know. You don't want like a, just, a character that can summon like George Washington to come chop down a tree. I mean, or a, it sounds great. Or a Cerberus. It sounds totally made up. <laughs> I'm gonna go dick on the table. You're putting, you're putting it out there, dick man. Dick on the table oh. right now. <laughs> is it? Is it still a little right warm? I love how that's that explain, that explain yourself. Explain your dick right now. I, I I feel like it's one of those characters that like the the, the creators were thinking about it and they were like. It's really vague how he got it, and it's vague what he can actually do with it, but we're going to go with it. This comic can go on forever. Right, yeah, eternally. Ah, uh, that's where but they got the name, probably. I, I, I'm I, a chase. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I feel like this is, it's just vague enough to be real. Okay, so we've got one real dick on the table, <laughs> and then we've got one false chase. Is the countertop a little warm for where my schlong was sitting a little while ago? <laughs> it's uh, my depends on how you like Houston, your dicks, uh, because this guy is very real. Yes, which nice. means that Hunter snuck in, stole himself a point. We've got ourselves a game. <laughs> We've got a tie game going. The guest right is now. trying to come into our house. And <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. <sighs> move our furniture. Oh man. Yeah, Hunter, you gotta. You gotta help us out, man. I'll bring us home. This is for the this is for the show's pride at this point. <laughs> All right, I'll guys. bring us home. Got three more here. All right, let's see what we have left here. You got number three. You got number five. You got number, number nine. nine. I'll do nine. Orca. Orca. Of course. Say that again. <laughs> Orca. Will. Oh. Whale. <laughs> Thompson. <laughs> uh, no, Hunter, you got through. You got, you got through the kite, man. I have faith. Yeah. Real name: Grace Ballen. First appearance: Batman, number five seventy-nine, July of two thousand. Power. After graduating with a PhD in marine biology from Gotham Gate College, Batham started working. Or sorry, Ballen started working at the Gotham Aquarium until it was closed due to lack of funding. Ballin is later involved in a terrible accident that cripples her from the waist down. In one last-ditch effort to save her aquarium, Grace experiments with spinal cord tissue regeneration using orca spinal cord tissue. She turns the experiment on herself, but the chemical reaction caused her to transform into a monstrous form resembling an orca. Ballin learned that she could control her transformation from human to orca and began a string of robberies during the night to help fund her aquarium. This is so stupid. Why do we keep getting... Why is it all villains this episode, man? Villains villain tend team. to be... You know, you get a bigger rogues gallery, mm-hmm. you know. You get more one-off yeah. villains. Yeah, you can bring them in for an episode. It doesn't work. See you later. See, I was, like, convinced that this was real, 
that this is a real hero until you said that she could transform between orca <laughs> form and human form. And I'm like, there's no fucking reason why that should be the case. Either you're orca form or you're human form. You know? I mean, she but, had spinal cord I like regeneration. But okay. I, I also, like, I like how it weaves in, like, there's other instances where, like, this institution couldn't be upheld because uh, the Bruce Wayne Foundation wasn't funding it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so exactly. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say that this is a hero or a real villain. This is a zero. You You're going to dick on the table? You're going to dig on the table right now? Right here. You bring a dick out and you're saying this <laughs> like you bring a dick out? It just sounds very familiar. <laughs> to... It sounds very familiar to me too. That's why it's real. Yeah, but it sounds familiar. I'm not going to say why because real? I don't want to. Yeah, it's zero. Chase, care to dip just... into the negatives anymore? No. I'm not. <laughs> no. No, I'm okay. <laughs> well, Alex, when you're on my show, you better put that fucking dick away because the orca is real. What? Yeah. The Orca is a real villain. It sounds exactly it like Oracle, who also was in a wheelchair. Yes, it does. And I know exactly who you're talking about. But keep in mind, Orca can also turn into a whale. So <laughs> big differences between the two. She's like, oh, now that I'm a whale, let's rob places. <laughs> to fund the aquarium. There's a whole thing. It's I put it all in cause. there. Yeah, All right, we'll go ahead and do the last two for fun, even though I don't think anybody can beat the uh, strong hold that, that Hunter has. Yeah, I just get to, to coast on out. Right on. But, Alex, uh, what, what do you want? You want number three or you want number five? Five. Alex, you got the librarian. Real name, unknown. First appearance, DC's Strange Adventures, number 202, May of 1966. The librarian is the host of the library the equivalent of purgatory in that souls are not permitted into heaven or hell and are kept within the confines of the books that rest of upon the Dewey the library's, Decimal System. Yeah, <laughs> library's shelves here on Earth. Visitors of the library are able to communicate with the souls through writing and reading back and forth on the pages of the respective books. The librarian acts as a guard for the library as well, with the power to trap intruders within the books, and burning a book banishes the soul to hell. Damn, dude. So, real quick. Score count. Me too. Alex, you back at zero now? Yeah. And then you're at negative one, Chase? Correct. All right. Let's see if you can... Let's see, if, <laughs> let's see who pulls let's out for a second here. Let's see who gets uh, that, that second metal. dick on the table. This sounds yeah. like some anime crap. What um, are you trying to say about me? <laughs> I happen see. to appreciate anime crap. <laughs> um, so does your website, Alex. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm kidding. Um... I'm going to go with Hero. That's a hero? Although this sounds very, like, how could you defeat a villain who could burn your soul alive in a book? Doesn't necessarily need to be defeated. He's not hurting anybody. Or maybe, <laughs> yeah, you're soul. right. Who knows? I would have said Hero, too, because I think Max wants to make up a name for every person he makes, and this guy, the name's unknown. Oh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like this, this is Brown. a hero. Hero? Chase, yeah. are you willing to put your dick on the table with the... Oh, wait, no, you <laughs> I can't. Mean, I can't. You can't. Yeah, right. that's true. Yeah, you you're right. No you're right. chance of second place. You're right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I can't steal. I mean, that's a flaw I, in the system the there. Answer. Next time we bring this to there, you know, we'll fix that. Uh, but it wouldn't have mattered anyway because I made up the librarian. 
That was a cool. That was cool, man. I like the library. Thank you. I knew. <laughs> I knew. Seriously, I'm gonna write a fucking like comic book, dude, and I'm gonna use all my characters that fooled you guys on this one. Nice. Or at least yeah, the armadillo man. man. Armadillo man will be the main character, and uh, hopefully, I can get the rights to the wizard. All right. So the last <laughs> one here, Chase. Yeah. For, Let's see if I can for get to fifty zero. points. No joking. Uh, it's gonna be Gravion. Real name, Diego Calaveras. First appearance, Marvels. The first Marvel so far, I'm pretty sure. The Amazing Spider-Man, number two, number 215. April of 1981. Power, a scientific inventor with a genius intellect. Calaveras uses a gravity-manipulating gun and belt that adjusts the effects of gravity on either himself or an object-slash-person he is aiming it at. He can even combine the strengths of each effect of his tools to catapult himself towards surfaces or force objects toward or away from him. I'm going to say Hero. I think there's a good amount of detail in there, a lot of specifics. Um, he's like a movement-based guy, and that makes sense for Spider-Man, who is a movement-based hero. I'm going to say that guy's real. I would agree. Alex, would you have said this man was real? It's a zero. You know what? Throwing it in. Somebody, somebody, is gonna get a second here. Understands the game, you know. Uh huh. And that's Alex. <laughs> Alex gets it. <laughs> Alex understands it. that Gravion will also be appearing in my comic book series that I'm about to write. <laughs> <laughs> Full of cool, well thought out quote from Chase characters. Nice. But yeah, well, thank you guys all for participating. Hunter, congratulations on whoop, a very whoop. sturdy lead Turn. this time around. Alex, of, yeah. Hunter knows his fucking superheroes. I'm, fucking yeah. Yeah, he does. I'm impressed. Definitely more than his Dragon Ball Z, that's for sure. Oh, <laughs> don't start that up, man. You're gonna you're gonna that start is a bad blow blood, dude. To the Dragon Balls. I'm just joking, <laughs> Alex. <laughs> <to> the Dragon <laughs> Ball. Enjoy your your second place. I hope you had fun playing a a witty banter classic. But another witty banter classic is answering some questions. So let's 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 talk about some questions here. Let's do it. Uh, we're in Dunter's mail corner, of course. <laughs> The first one comes from Dooney Ray, a frequent emailer and someone we've even played fighting games with. Mm -hmm. He says, hey guys, I hope the work week is going smoothly. When you take a look around, fighting games have paid tribute to legendary martial artists throughout their existence. The plethora of Bruce Lee characters are an indication of the love and respect developers and creative directors have for the dragon. Jackie Chan's iconic super cop role resulted in Lei Wu Long's creation, mm -hmm. another respectful tribute to a legend. Which he's not it's in clear Tekken the 7. Impact. What? He's not in Tekken 7, which is kind of whack. Hmm. Sorry. Yeah, going on. So it's clear that uh, the impact these individuals had on and off the camera left a lasting influence on the, on the world, which resulted in these characters being created. And he says... The question is, will Donnie Yen eventually have his own character? Uh, is it a matter of if or when? Dude. Has he had enough impact on people to have a character created that's inspired by Donnie the Yen? The question is, has Donnie Yen had that? Or has or are we in need for like an Ipmon esque fighting game character? Because that's what I think. Like how like if you're not gonna take Ipmon what fighting style are you going to give Donnie Yen? Because you, yeah. you have Jackie Chan, 
slapstick as fuck. All right. Mm-hmm. He's flopping all over the place. He's doing stunts. He's laughing. He's probably drunk half the time. Okay, you got Bruce Lee on <laughs> this side, serious. who's just, you know, he's got the high-pitched squeals, yep. everything is tense, mm-hmm. he's flexing after every fucking hit, mm-hmm. and they're sharp, and they're <laughs> fast. But what's Donnie Yen really doing to, like, put Donnie Yen, Donnie Yen's fighting style into the game? I think, I think you're right, because he's got a pretty good uh, range. Mm. Like, in, uh, I think it's Fearless, yeah. he's got that fight scene with um, Jet Li that's, like, all mystical and wires and it looks beautiful and it's awesome fucking i I do think crouching tiger hidden dragon i mean it's like the fucking i kind of wish that there was more of a mr miyagi-ish character that was just like more defensive and like used people's movements to fuck with them like a shit ton of parries like all sorts of parries all over the game yeah i don't really know enough about donnie yen i I would say no because i don't really know shit about donnie yen chase let me hit you with this one all right tony jaw style character Tony Jaw would be fucking awesome. Yeah. But you've got Adon, dude. Adon's a no, Muay Thai true. guy. It's not like Muay Thai is Jet missing Lee. from it. Yeah, Jet Li. But see, that's I think. But I think Max brings up a good point. Like, what would Jet Li's like signature style be? You know? Yeah, it wouldn't be like obviously Jet Li. It's right. like, how do you put a martial artist in there, don't call him Jet Li, and then have people go like, oh, oh whoa, what Jet a Lee. nod to Jet Li. I don't think I don't think that they've blazed a trail so bright. That that's that's. I mean, I think that they just like they have, but as like prolific actors and martial artists of a wide range of abilities, right? Which means, yeah, I I honestly don't think Donnie Yen. I don't. I don't think it's a question of when. I think it's a question of if for Donnie Yen. And you know, like you're also talking about. I mean, I mean, Bruce Lee like popularized, almost created the martial arts genre of movie. Mm-hmm. And within a short, not even a generation's time, you had game makers in the arcades making games. So it's only natural that some of that was bleeding over, you know? I feel like we're so far removed from martial arts movies even being that popular that... I mean, I guess they'll always be maybe popular in fighting game circles, just given the nature of fighting games. But I don't know. I just I just don't see it. Yeah. So, yeah. No, no Donnie Yen... I'll see you, a Tony Jaw. I was going to also throw in the dude from The Raid, because I feel like he's got a very Eco solid Ways. style. But that being said, there's a lot of Tekken players or characters that already fight real yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, Dragonoff is essentially the same fighting style. <laughs> yeah. But still, yeah. Thank you for the question, Dooney. We need Thank to get you. some sets in very soon, sir. All right. And then coming from the headliner himself, we've got Dunter Horset. Tell me about a time that you fucked up. And it resulted in you getting physically injured. Later, oh. you filthy frittatas. Dunker, I'm thinking about Flubber Horset. No. Damn, a time when I got physically injured because I fucked up. I feel like there's got to be a bunch. I mean, I, I have one that comes to mind pretty immediately that Chase was there for. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. Is this the story? Edge camp? Oh, dude. One of the hardest belly laughs of all time. <laughs> what is this? Uh, what is this? Uh, why, why don't I know about edge this? Camp. You weren't there, dude. Yeah. This is like this is like prenatal Chase and Hunter friendship moments. We're going to talk about slapstick, right? So I do. Basically, I was, a, I was a little bit of a player at church camps. Yeah, that was specialty. Like highly, I was a playboy, highly, and my specialty was church camp. You know, you can <laughs> it's a highly <laughs> underplayed facet <laughs> of middle school. But if you go to church camps, oh, 
it's Poon just like everywhere. I feel <laughs> no, like the Lord like, is telling me we're supposed to be together. You're going to like a camp exactly. where you Classic. have a bunch of freaking hormonal boys and hormonal girls, and you find a cute one, and you're just like, I want to hang out with them, and I want to try and make that happen, right? So, I was trying to flirt with a girl named Ashley, who Cole actually dated. Oh, okay. <laughs> Cole bagged inside joke. Yeah, and so. Um, I was trying to like be funny and I don't know. We like we were hanging out with me, Chase, Ashley, I think another girl, and Hunter Strong was there. And um, and so we're hanging out. There's like this hill <laughs> where you go from like the mess hall. There's like this big hill, and then you go up to like a, a little area where people congregate or whatever. And so we're hanging out on the hill. We have like a recreational time, and like there's some some vines that are hanging down from the branches and shit. And it's like a downward slope. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to freaking find my Tarzan this shit. And I'm going to make it happen. And uh, basically, like, it's not like a fantastic story. I just thought that it was going to hold me. Because cause Ashley did it first. Ashley did it first. And she was held up. And she kind of, like, swung off. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. I'm going to go even farther. And then, like, I swung and just pop. Just, like, dude. right on my back. Like, the biggest thump. <laughs> You can imagine. Hunter Hunter committed to this swing. <laughs> it wasn't like just sort of grabbing it and, and, and pushing out there. It was like jump up all your weight out of this vine because I'm I'm trying to get my momentum out there. And like you've never watched somebody like imagine imagine somebody who doesn't have a vine or anything who just jumps in the air <laughs> and then falls right down onto their back. Oh. Like, and just, Hunter Strong just, Made it like ten times funnier because he's just like, bah! and just like ran around in circles around me while I'm just like, like on the ground if, in if agony. You if you didn't run, you were gonna piss your pants. And like Hunter was literally like out of breath for twenty minutes. <laughs> so yeah, I fucked up that oh, part. Damn, that one hurt. Yeah, that fucking Alex. What about you, man? Sucks, dude. Time I got hurt. Um, let's go with the trying to impress the girls. I'll continue that. Uh, sixth grade gym class. Girl named Sharice is my crush. Loving it. Sup, Sharice? <laughs> trying, trying to be cool. Uh, we're gonna hang out after class, so I just got to go change in the uh, in the in the locker room real quick. She's waiting for me, so run up there, doing my thing. Then all of a sudden, there's there's one guy on my right. I'm in the locker room um, in like one of the columns of lockers. Guy to my right, uh, he is. Four years older than me. He's failed uh, our grade like two or three times. He's supposed to be a <laughs> freshman in high school. I'm a sixth grader. And then there's a guy on my left who is sitting in his tidy whities Everybody's making fun of him. He decides to talk back to the the nine, the like the like 20-year-old in gym class. <laughs> and then a fight breaks out, and I'm in the middle of it. And the ninth grader goes to swing for the the kid in the tidy whities misses and punches me straight in the face. And I fall oh, to the ground no. and just start sobbing. And there's a fight breaking out above me, and I'm just crying on the ground. And uh, did the girls like, see your tears? Well, yeah, I had to walk out of the. I had like this. My whole like forehead was just purple. I had like a loose tooth. And I walk out just sobbing to this oh. girl and just sat sat down and told her to leave. It was uh, <laughs> no. You hit the perfect. Not worth it. You hit the perfect story. Like I just defended your honor. <laughs> yeah, they fucking said that you were a slut, and I was like, no. Sixth grade Alex I is not that smooth. I took two dudes. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nope. <laughs> nope. Oh, it was man. it was bad. 
Max, do you have any uh, anything that sticks out? Nothing that's like too terribly funny, but one of the first times I ever got stitches was very recently when I was just fucking moving boxes like a oh, normal yeah. human being I remember with that. a normal house. And uh, picked up a box, tried to walk over another box, didn't pull my leg up far enough, tried to catch myself, didn't no. bother Ooh. dropping the box. Yeah, it was a classic, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. And like thinking I could catch myself with my legs, didn't want to drop the box because of what I had in it to brace myself, and I just ended up tipping over and not thinking I was going to clip the side of a fucking countertop next to me, splitting my head open, and me literally just me being oh. like, uh, I've never had this happen before. <laughs> wasn't what it like a do? really slow impact, though? Like, it wasn't like really fast, <laughs> I think right? I probably like, just tried like, to like Whoa. set up the scene that way, but I mean, I definitely, <laughs> well, it's just like the mentality was like, I should drop this box and like catch myself, and then I was like, no, I probably got it. No, I just split my head open. <laughs> And then I that now sucks. have a scar on the head for the rest of my life, right underneath my cowlick, so I can look at it every day. Yeah, that oh. sucks. <laughs> so there was one point in time, this was at Tom Reichert's house, and the reason why it's particularly fucked up is because it just sounds, it's, it's very stupid. Yeah. And I was on a ripstick, and <laughs> man, I thought, I, thought, I thought ripsticks were real cool. The future. Because, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Nobody's going to be riding anything but ripsticks from now on. Exactly. Like, check me out. I can go pretty fast on this thing. And it looks like I'm surfing. And, uh, dude, I just, like, the thing went out from under me. And it went out from under me so quick that I had, like, hang time in the air. And I came down and, like, my hip bone, between my hip bone and the concrete, my cell phone was there. Shattered my cell phone. And just, like, fucking eradicated my hip bone. Just, like, like, one of the most dull but intense pains I've ever had. And, like, I got up and I was like, oh, fuck, dude, that, like, really hurts, man. And they're like, yeah, are you all right? Like, I think I'm good. And then, like, five minutes later, I'm like, it fucking hurts. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a particular pain. It's just hitting, like, your tailbone or your hip bone. Like, I don't care how fucking tough you think you are. That hurts like a bitch every fucking time. Dude, I have a shout-out story. Could I give a shout-out story real quick? One extra story. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Okay, so, like, I lived on a a cul-de-sac where there was, like, these kids that were younger than me. I was the oldest kid on my cul-de-sac for like most of childhood. And like, I wasn't even good at hockey or anything, but I liked like rollerblading around. And so I was like getting pretty good at rollerblading and everyone else sucked. So they kind of like looked up to me when we'd all like get on our rollerblades and shit. And I was like the, go- the go-to guy there. And I was trying to show off or at least like teach kids like, Oh, this is how you skate backwards. And this is how you like skirt, you know, stop or whatever. And I was trying to like show off one day and they had a bike like a little small kid's bike. And I was like, oh, I'm going to jump over it. And so I jumped over it and I landed. And then I was like, that was easy. I need to make it harder on myself. (laughs) So this kid had a hockey stick and I put it over the back of my my neck. And so like I put my arms over like I was in a, like a cowl or whatever those things are, a full Nelson. Yeah. (laughs) I full Nelson myself with a hockey stick and tried to jump over and whiffed. And hit it straight on my face, like, like oh, directly down oh my on my face. God. And so, like, all of the force from the full Nelson <laughs> went into my face too. And I literally tasted cement for like an hour. Uh. <laughs> it was incredible. I don't know why all these fucking slapsticky stories are fucking killing me right now. But oh I like, my god, I, there was there was a point in time when I was in a uh, I was in a parking garage longboarding. <laughs> 
And like I had done it a few times, so I was feeling really good. I was finally at a point where like I can kind of like rip it with speed, and I was trying to like show off because Nick could do this. But those like little concrete barriers that you pull up to in a parking spot that like tell you when to stop, mm-hmm. I was gonna go in between a concrete barrier and the concrete wall because man, that takes some skill. <laughs> so dumb. I know, and like my wheel immediately, my back wheel just drills this concrete brick, and I went flying off, oh. and like my head oh my, my head God. hit the concrete so hard oh my, <laughs> my head hit the concrete so hard that like the inner oh part my of like God. my eye like where your like where your nose dips into your eyelid like i had cut that but no other part of my face oh, so like wow. my face like flattened out and like squished i had hit so hard that sounds horrible oh my god i don't know why max is crying me so that was before a, that was before a work meeting and i had to show up and i was like Fucking wait, blood. yeah, wait, we were all going to work. We were all together, right? Like I was there for that. Yeah. I just wasn't. I didn't see it happen. But I remember you just being the tail end, coming down, old lowly chase. I'm just like, oh, dude, <laughs> like a fucking yeah. You, my pants were ripped, dude. It was. <laughs> oh my god, I don't know why this is slaying me so much. I'm so sorry. No oh, apologies. Well, thank you for all the email questions. Before we head on out of here. As we're, we're, we're running along, and fuck it, let's just let it ride. Alex, do you have yeah. a question that you wanted to bring to the table? I do. So I've been playing uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds a lot lately, which is like, it's incredible. You should play it if you have a PC. Um, but really it's going to make me think it. a lot about competition and just winning and losing lately, because the game is just very much based on that. Um, and I want to know either a, since we just talked about getting hurt and failures, <laughs> let's talk about wins. So what is one moment yeah. in your life... Where tell me tell me a story of glory, whether it's related to gaming, sports, just academic achievement. Like, what is a moment that you just felt like a badass? Oh yes, okay. I feel like I've witnessed some badassery from Hunter. Yeah, I remember watching uh, watching Hunter play football. Like, and whenever Hunter would score touchdowns, dude, that you would ape out, man. You'd go nuts. Yeah, I had some good golden years in the football days. Um, I think the single coolest thing I ever did in football was um, I was on JV one year, and we were playing Conroe, who was, like, our main rivals, I guess. And, um, and yeah, like, I was on – like, no one likes being on special teams because special teams kind of fucking blow. You just wear yourself out and, like, maybe get hit really hard and, like, nothing really happens because of it. Um but I was yep. on I was on punt return, and typically on punt return, when you line up on the line, usually it's just like you block the guy in front of you and make sure yeah. you know he doesn't get away. And uh, this time we called a punt block uh, because they were like I guess they had really wide stances and they weren't blocking very well. And so I just bolted through there, and instead of just blocking the punt, I fucking caught it off of his leg. Like he punted Holy it, shit. and I caught it, and I just started running. And I, like, was in the end zone before, like, no one knew I was in the end zone before I'd already scored. And I was just like, fuck, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then everyone was just like, what the fuck just happened? (laughs) That was probably, like, the coolest, just insane thing that I've done. Because I was like, there's no reason I should have just caught it off his foot. Oh, I'll do one a little bit. I'll do one a little bit more lighthearted because I was just talking to my sister about it because it's her favorite story about my youth when it came to gaming and how she views me. As a uh, as a little nerd now, is because there was one day when we we had an N sixty four and then we were playing I was playing FIFA, right? 
Yeah. And in FIFA, when you were also like, you know, eight or ten, eight or nine years old. Yeah. The computers were really fucking hard. And yeah. I could never beat them. And I would play the little tournament mode and I would go all the way to the very end. And I could never fucking beat it. <laughs> right. And I'm sitting there and we had like a, our, our, our uh, like Nintendo <laughs> Entertainment System was in the living room. So this is for everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm sitting there, and I got control of the TV. This, this is, is mine. This is, show. this is me. Like I'm, I, I got, I'm carrying my family on my back here. Okay, <laughs> and I'm playing bed, FIFA, dude. and I was just, I was hitting a stride, man. I was understanding the frame data of the game. I was in the game itself. I was, you know, passing appropriately, and I was shooting appropriately, and I was taking advantage of goal emptiness, and I was making points. And it was coming down to the very last uh, bit of the game, and we were tied, and I scored. And I was waiting now for the timer pretty much just to go out. Right, yeah. Right? yeah I was yeah. in the lead, and I was mm-hmm. going to win the championship. And I was so fucking stoked, okay? And I was mm-hmm. sitting down, and I had to pee so fucking bad, but I couldn't <laughs> bail on this fucking game, okay? So I'm sitting there, and I remember sitting like, like I had like my front leg kind of out, and then I was sitting kind of on my back leg to kind of position myself in this sort of to fetal-esque switch. position. You to had to squish switch everything together, right? Because I had to pee so fucking bad. But I was also just so into this game. That the fucking timer was going down 10, 9, 8, all the way down to fucking zero, and the fucking you win screen came up, and I just fell onto my front knees, and I put my hands in the air. I was so stoked, and I pissed my fucking pants. And I was just fucking in. Like, I just, I didn't give a shit, dude. And I peed my fucking pants right there in the fucking living room because I beat FIFA fucking N64. And it was just the fucking best achievement of video games I probably still have to this date. That's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah, definitely for sure. That's incredible. I'll give you a quick little sports moment, man. Uh, I probably, I might have told this story on the show, but this is hands down my best sports moment. And it was when I played hockey. Oh, hockey. Oh, oh, yeah. California had some good stuff uh, for football as well. But um, when I played hockey in middle school, I was like, I only played defense because I could not shoot a puck worth a shit, right? Like, I was awful. And so we had a tie game, which means you go to a shootout, and you have, like, then it becomes almost like a batting list in baseball where you put your yep. best dudes up front and you go down to the bottom. I was literally, like, the second to last dude, and at this point, no one had scored a goal, and it was just sudden death, next goal wins. Like, all right, Chase, it's your turn. And I went up there. <laughs> And for, like, no particular reason, and I was just, like, literally in my head, like, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm just going <laughs> to skate at this guy. And I'm just, like, looking at the goalie, and I pulled my stick back, and I didn't even have, like, a, a plan. And I just slapped it and went, floop, right into the pocket, man. Dude, fuck. And I, oh, I, that's fucking And sick. I won the game. And, like, my team, like, fucking wigged and, like, tackled me out on the rink and shit. It was awesome. Nice. Dang. Man. Triple deke. <laughs> All right, Alex, what do you got for us? Uh, I will, I will, I will balance this out. Do some gaming. Um, Thank you. Back in what late two thousands, Call of Duty Modern Warfare came out, and I decided okay. that I was a total baller at that game. Nobody could beat me, so I enlisted in a regional tournament for Virginia, uh, and it was like hosted by some competitor of GameStop. I can't remember the name, but uh, in the in the placement matches, uh, it was like best of three, I think, and it was free for all, so sixteen people at a time. Uh, per round and and I was in there was about a minute left in the match and somehow I had just been decimated I was like 15 out of 16 uh, and so oh, I decided man. to just go to the total cheap route and there was a there's a weapon in the game called the noob tube and so I whipped that mm. bad boy out and they, they had all sorts of weird restrictions on guns you couldn't couldn't use for some reason this was on the list my main weapon was not on the list for this round so I just I was sucking and so I pull out the noob tube. I have 60 seconds to go. 
and I just go ham with it. I end up getting second place in the oh my <laughs> in the placement matches, and then I ended up getting like fourth place in the regionals. But you know, it was good times. Call of Duty. <laughs> you, you know, everyone was like, "Dude, fuck this." Oh, and there were, there were all, there were so many kids that went to my school. They were pissed at me, and they already didn't like me. So. You know, <laughs> sometimes you gotta, th- you just gotta accept yeah. it. You know? This is who I am. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> it's all downhill from here, boys. Oh man. <laughs> so without further ado again, Alex, thank you so much for, for joining the show. Yes. Uh, just one more time, plug everything you got. Let us know where we can find more Van Aken or more Alex. If you are Aiken for some Van Aken, you can find me on Twitter That's at cute. it's Van Aken, okbeast.com and pixel pulse radio. Ooh, nice, 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 nice and succinct elevator pitch right there. Yeah, it's really nice. I, you know, I was ready for like a ten minute spiel, but you kept it nice and short. Now I'm not ready, but uh, let's see here. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to follow Chase on Twitter, you can go to at Bodacious Chase. If you want to follow me, you can go to at uh, Probably Max. If you want to follow the show, you can go to at Witty Banter Show. If you want to just skip the whole Twitter bullshit, like you're done with the grid, like you me. know. Get off of the Screw fucking the grid, social man. media cool hype shit, bro. Delete all of it, man. You're too good for it. Just go to our website uh, at witty or sorry www.wittybantershow.com. We got all the episodes in there, and we keep it updated all the fucking time. Um, anything else you guys wanted to say before we head on out? Any last words? Mm-hmm. Thank the- you so much for coming on the show, Alex. Yeah, Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for having me, man. Really appreciate it. Hope you had a good time. I did. Um, I'm the hero or zero hero. Yeah, you are. Oh, shut up. Anyway, back to Alex. Thank you, Alex, for coming <laughs> on. Uh, let's uh, head on out of here with some beeps of all different types. Robotic, jazzy, whatever you got. Perfect. Beep, boop. <laughs>